0: You're listening to the Activity Strong Executive Edition series on the Bridge the Gap Network. The live webinar series aims to promote, engage, and empower wellness directors and senior living executives to continue the conversations surrounding health and wellness in aging adults. Powered by Linked Senior.
1: Welcome, everyone. Um, it's It's a deep pleasure today to welcome again Karen Love, the Executive Director of the Dementia Action Alliance to today's activity Strong webinar. As some of you might remember, she uh, came uh, back in October and it was one of our most well-received webinars. So we're very excited to have you back, Karen. And so today the title of a discussion is going to be Living with Dementia During COVID-19. And there's no better way to learn things from people actually going through dementia. So it is an honor to have both Mike and Terry. Mike, I want to personally thank you for being here with us today. And welcome to uh, today's presentation. Same thing for you, Terry. Thank you very much for, uh, uh, for being with us. It is an honor uh, to have you both. And Karen, thank you for facilitating this. About today's webinar, it is an executive edition in, and that we're doing in partnership with our media partner, Bridge the Gap. We, um, back in December, started doing a special track towards executive dir- executives in the senior living industry as a way to elevate the discussion about resident engagement and person-centered care The idea being that everybody is welcome, and specifically, we wanna make sure that we're inviting executives to the conversations. So if you are one of these executives, such as an administrator, an executive director, or somebody from a corporate position in senior living, we wanna pause and also thank you for attending our webinars, because it means that you and your organization values the work of activity and life enrichment professionals. As I mentioned previously, Karen is the executive director uh, from the Dementia Action Alliance. My name, as I mentioned before, is Charles Vilnran, And I strongly believe that all people are cool and obviously that our industry is activity strong. Talking about activity strong, Um, this platform was launched by Link Senior as a way to acknowledge and educate and empower activity and life enrichment professionals. Some of you might be familiar also with our work that we launched five years ago now, the Old People Are Cool campaign, as a way to celebrate uh, everybody in society and also make sure that we all dignify and respect the older adult. In terms of background, just so that everybody is aware, Link Senior is a resident engagement platform for senior living. We are the only platform in the market that has their work uh, published in a peer-reviewed journal, where we have been shown to increase quality of life, clinical outcomes, but also financial outcomes for organizations. And if you're interested in a, a conversation about Link Senior, please feel free to contact us. About these webinars, We launched them three years ago because we understand that um, team members in assisted living, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and nursing homes often have trouble accessing education. And obviously with COVID and the pandemic that we've been going through since March 2020, this has been a huge need, which we've recognized in doubling the amount of education we provide. As you can see, we've been blessed with fantastic speakers, including today's, And um, this page is also an invitation for all of you to consider the fact that a lot of our speakers are there because of a request or a suggestion. So if you know of somebody that we should invite or an idea that we haven't covered yet, please feel free to reach out and suggest that to us. Now, as we continue building the Activity Strong platform, we have launched a partnership with TimeSlips that started late January, the same week as Activity Professional Week. And we have been building with TimeSlips five weeks of creative care that you can implement and enjoy with your team members and your residents in your community. And some of you have been amazing at uh, implementing these so if you don't know what I'm talking about or if you want a refresher of what is going on I see that Megan has shared the link uh, in the chat please feel free to use some of it or all of it it is a free resource for you to use um, in your community now this creative care five-week period is about to end, I believe, in about 10 days. And we will soon be highlighting some of the work that you have done, you, the audience, because we've had amazing stories. And so if you want a chance at being highlighted, please take a second to email us either a picture, a video, or even a story, and we will make sure to review it and possibly highlight a number of these stories. So please, um, again, the email is uh, from Megan here and she's also pasted it in the chat. Feel free to reach out anytime and share your stories. And the last thing I'd like to share is, we have been doing Facebook Live events every week on Monday at 1 p.m. to give a recommendation or ideas about the coming week. And so the next one is going to be on Monday, February 22nd at 1 p.m. Eastern. So head over to our Facebook group, and we will be having one session. And believe it or not, I will make an appearance with Andrew from Timeslip, and him and I will be sharing more about this coming week. So with that, um, get a little bit of background on who we are in this current program that we have. And so it's, again, with immense pleasure that we welcome the Dementia Action Alliance and Karen's work. So Karen, I'm going to let, it, you know, I let you ask me to move the slide and I'm going to turn off my video so that all of the attention is sent your way. Thank you, Karen.
0: And thank you. We are delighted to be here today with you all. And I'm just enjoying all of the different written chats. Um, it looks like most of the country is freezing. So it's good if we can all get together safely. We don't have to leave um, to watch this Zoom. Um, so I just wanted to give a little context so that you know where I am coming from. I am a gerontologist and I've worked in the field of dementia support and care now for um, 40 years. And during that time, learned a lot of things. Um, and one of the most significant is that if we help enable and empower people early on, Um, so that they can be proactive, it really does impact um, their their, um, symptoms as time goes on. So while we're creating a better society in which to live with dementia, we specifically provide hope and help to individuals and families with information about how to live proactively. So we believe that dementia symptoms need to be better understood accommodated as a disability, because as soon as you think of it as a disability, you think, oh, well, what supports does that individual need? It automatically moves you into a strength-based mindset um, that the symptoms are supported and that they are fully included in everything. We believe in the uh, disability world's mantra, nothing about us without us, and to that end, Our nonprofit organization has a national advisory board and they shape and inform absolutely everything that we do. So there are a lot of things that um, are still not where they need to be and stigma and misperceptions, the myths about living with dementia, such as people can't learn new things. Well, with advanced dementia symptoms, people aren't going to be learning calculus. But um, very much so, um, especially in the beginning, it's really healthy, um, you know, to stimulate their brain. We provide a platform for voices, a way to connect people and live proactively, identify beneficial technology, and advocate person and relationship center practices. So this is um, Richard Taylor. He was one of the first people in the United States who spoke up. Um, He was living with Alzheimer's disease and unfortunately died of um, throat cancer. But he said, help enable me, not further disable me. And that is a really important rallying cry. He's standing there with um, his granddaughter who, who always brought him joy and enabled him. So think about if no accommodations had ever been made for the astrophysicist Stephen Hawking um, here is a picture of him toward the end of his life. And all he physically could do was move one finger um, and blow. He had the ability to use straws to help manipulate things. Um, but science just kept you know coming up with ways that could accommodate him so that you know he could continue to function at his highest level. We need to take that mindset and think about how we support people living with dementia and accommodate some of their changing abilities. Just a little bit of, um, I know it's busy and I don't expect you to read it all, but just gives you a little bit of a graphic that there are lots of things that our organization does um, to connect and um, uh, have people linked together. And now without any further ado, I want to get into a wonderful um conversation with Terry and Mike. Um, Both of them are on our National Advisory Board and um, are very familiar and excellent speakers that you'll learn about. So my first question, Terry, could you briefly talk about um, what symptoms you were experiencing that led you to seek a diagnosis Thank you. Um, My first symptoms were,
2: the very first thing was passwords. I just couldn't retain it. Then it was just steps as far as procedures and following instructions to completion that was becoming more difficult. And also as far as not being as clean as I used to be. I was turning into a pet rat accumulating things around the house and it says, I'll get to it. And that never happened. And, um, and so then, and losing important documents, such as my passport driver's license, then I knew that there was something wrong.
0: Thank you. Mike, how about you? Could you tell us briefly about your experience and why you saw the
3: driver's Sure. For me, it was, um, it was symptoms that actually showed up at work. Um, more than they did at home I was a lead technician for a large telecommunications company and I was also a trainer um, for new hires and I actually found myself going to some of the people I had trained how to do the job and asking them how to do my job Um, so I think a lot of that had to do because of the stress of of my job Um, but it, it showed up more at home believe it or not with behavioral changes in me i was always an easygoing guy loved to fish and quiet and types of things and i was becoming quicker to anger what i what i call going from zero to 60 like that um there was some forgetfulness obviously but um i I was just i wasn't the same person i was before my wife had noticed it. Um, So we started seeking answers pretty early on, actually, in my late 40s.
0: Thank you. Terry, was it easy to get a diagnosis?
2: Not exactly, because when I went to the doctor, the first thing he says, maybe you're going through menopause. Maybe it's your thyroid, because you're too young to have what I think you have. So he wanted me to wait for six months, see if there was any differences, and, and my behaviors or, or, or have things gotten better. He thought perhaps I was working too many hours, which I did. I I, worked, I loved what I did, and my work weeks were beyond 50 hours a week. But what really got the attention after six months and I checked in with him was because I was at a railroad crossing, and I got confused as to what to do. So that was one thing that really made him think about all you did. And I actually had gotten out of the car. The other thing was, but that was enough when I just told him that. But it was just getting more current as to you not retaining um, or losing interest in the things that you love. And I didn't want to be embarrassed not remembering people's names or what they just told me when I was in a role that I needed to know people's names and not forget them. So after that, then he ordered. The test and made the recommendation for
0: a neurologist. Thanks. Mike, how about you? Was it easy for you to get diagnosed?
3: Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It it took a long time. And when I say a long time, I I wish I could pinpoint exactly, but I know it took well, close to two years, if not over two years. Um, And again, because of my age, uh, like I said, I was in my late forties when Things started happening um, and the first thing I was told was that it was depression so I was sent to see a psychiatrist and a psychologist and we went through that process and of course that takes a while only for things to you know weren't getting better and then I was told that you know it's stress and then I was told well maybe it's Lyme disease or you know all these crazy things until we finally you know we got to a point where everybody has what we call what i like to call our an aha moment and i mentioned earlier you know how behavioral changes were happening at home and one of them you know happened to be i've been fortunate to be blessed um, to still be married <laughs> this april will make 40 years um but my wife and i had had a disagreement or a challenging conversation, as I like to call them. And um, I woke up the next morning, getting a cold shoulder from from my wife, not understanding why, um, which really kind of preceded her to get even a little more upset, because she thought I was just blowing it off. But when she told me about some of the things I had said, uh, what the conversation was about, it really hit home. And it made us, you know, go back to the neurologist and say, "Listen, this is there's something more serious going on." So he finally started doing testing, other testing that led to MRIs, PET scans, spinal taps, neuropsychological exams, um, and then all those things started coming back as probable Alzheimer's, probable Alzheimer's, until you know we finally got the diagnosis of um, younger onset. Alzheimer's when I was fifty-two, and you've
0: been subsequently pre diagnosed
3: correct? So correct, yeah. Three years, three years after my diagnosis, my initial diagnosis, it was changed to Lewy body dementia with Parkinsonism, um, because even that diagnosis of Lewy body is very difficult to get, uh, because there's there's subset symptoms. Um, that occur, you know, that I won't go into great detail right now just because we don't have a whole lot of time, but, um, but yeah, so the diagnosis was changed and it's not unusual for that to happen with, for people with a dementia diagnosis. A lot of people even have mixed dementias and don't know it.
0: Yeah. I think that's probably a surprise. People just think you go to the doctor and you get your diagnosis, but it's a really very complicated, convoluted, process um for Mm -hmm. most people so terry after you were diagnosed did you experience grief
2: um my diagnosis was for the young onset younger onset alzheimer's i was 58 at the time and as far as when i was given the diagnosis i obviously it was something none of us want but what can you do about it and um For me, I had a brother-in-law that had um, Alzheimer's. I really didn't understand it that much, but I had had the opportunity to research it a little bit to know how to communicate with him. So I just, when he gave me the diagnosis, I um, cried a few moments, and then I told him that uh, all I wanted or my biggest fear was not being able to talk. But during that process, all I wanted is that when I got to the point that I didn't know anyone, that I hope that I was Richard Simmons in my mind, that that's where it will take me to, and that I would hope that I would be that person in my purple tutu and my shoes, golden shiny shoes, and just hope I can have the whole center come and join with me and dance and we'd be Richard Simmons. Again, I will be Richard Simmons. So that's how I handled it.
0: <laughs> oh, how about you, Mike? Did you experience grief after getting diagnosed?
3: Absolutely. Um, for the first, I mean, initially, and again, when we got the diagnosis uh, given to us by a neurologist who we had known for a few years, like I said, very nice gentleman. We still have a great relationship. But he sat us down said here's what all the test results show I'm pretty certain you have younger onset Alzheimer's here's a medication I'm going to start you on Mm -hmm. I want to see you in six months and he walked out the door and that was it so you know we had the same preconceived notions or stigmas of what we thought Alzheimer's or dementia was it only happens to old people and you know, in, in you know a year or two, I'm going to be in a nursing home somewhere or this, that and everything else. Um, so for the first five or six months, I was really hiding under a rock. I was already depressed. I went into a deeper depression. I was still working, um, but that's all I did was work. I would work, come home and crash because it took so much out of me. And like I said, that was about five or six months until Cheryl said, enough is enough and i joke with people and say she probably said it a little bit differently but you know we'll keep it clean um kicked me in the pants and uh, but she had to play dr google and she started searching for places to get answers to questions about what we could expect you know support groups who could we talk to things like that and so it wasn't at least for the first six months afterwards um That I was experiencing serious grief, and even today, you know, I still, I still grieve, and you know, I grieve a lot of the things of that I can no longer do. You know, things I used to be able to do in minutes that could take me hours or days, or I can't do it all. Um, Things I've had to give up, my independence, driving. I mean, every so often something hits you where you realize that you're losing your ability to do certain things and you know, that grief kicks in all over again. So I don't think it totally ever goes away. Um, but, you know, I do try to be as cheerful and optimistic as, as Terry um, and, and try to stay positive.
0: That's a tall order because Terry is unbelievably
3: yeah, Absolutely it is. <laughs>
0: so Terry, when you got diagnosed, did the doctor or somebody
2: from his or her office, did you get all kinds of information and support? Oh, no. When you receive your diagnosis, um, your doctor informs you, well, at least I was told, um, unfortunately, you have early onset Alzheimer's. Um, get your affairs in order and enjoy your life. Check and see where you are, like as far as in your retirement and things like that. Uh, We can give you some medication. There is no cure for Alzheimer's at this time, but it will slow down the process for you. And I'll see you within six months or either a year. I can't remember. And that was it. Now, if we were to rewind it and, and us having this disease, What I would have liked to have heard, and which is really helpful for those that follow us with this disease, is to give us hope, to give us resources. Where do you go to find people that's just like yourself? Where do you go, and what can you do? But now we had to personally learn that we're not gonna die in 24 months, because that's the mindset that we have, that we're gonna die within the next two years, that we're gonna die within the next five years. And I'm in year six right now. And to give us the, just to lead you to get busy. Don't sit home because I'm giving you this diagnosis of saying that you have Alzheimer's and you accept that. I hope that the doctors say, hey, you got Alzheimer's, there is no cure. We're working on one. But in the meantime, I want you to get out there and do everything that you can to work that brain and produce more brain cells. That's is what you have to do is to give people hope, to not say you're gonna die, to not take it like, that's all I can do, is nothing more I can do. All of the things I used to do, I'm losing my job. Hey, we have, it's, it's um, you can't just sit there and feel sorry for yourself. And even though each day it's a challenge for us, but you just gotta have that hope. And we hope that they include that when they tell people in the future.
0: Uh, that's really wise counsel. Um, and do you think that being as proactive, being positive, being um, active and engaged, do you think that has helped you these past six years? For me, it helped me
2: because in 15, I'm diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and 16, I'm diagnosed with cancer. So I couldn't just sit there and just like, oh, my God, what else is coming? And to me, um, with the Alzheimer's part of it, of, of you losing the person that you are, um, it's important that you, you, you have to fight because your future and, and if you know anyone that has has it, you, you see yourself like, I don't want to be that way. I only have a certain amount of time. I don't know that it, tomorrow, I don't know who I am. And then as we go through this process, you you just have to, you have to be positive. You have to be engaged so you don't be feeling sorry for yourself. And if you forget, so what? Who cares? You know, I mean, it's things when people look at us, they get a stigma. Oh, it's nothing wrong with you. But you don't know if I have my clothes on right. You don't know if what I can do in the bathroom. You don't know what I can do as far as cooking or can't cook, unlike Mike is a chef, (laughs) but there's certain things that we aspire in having this disease and there's certain things that we go all the way to the bottom.
0: Mike, how about you? Um, Do you think your being so active and proactive, do you think that has helped your symptoms over time?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um You know, like Terry was saying, you know, what we wish we would have heard from the doctor when we were given our diagnosis. And the thing I like to think of is, uh, what I believe anyways, is the number one prescription doctor should be giving a person with a dementia diagnosis is social engagement. It's not a pill. Don't get me wrong. We'll take our medication. We know it's important. But staying socially engaged is key. And I truly believe that doing that and a lot of other things i've been doing over the last few years is what's kept me able to be able to do or continue to do the things that i'm doing now um i have a lot of favorite quotes and a lot of them come from movies and one of my favorite movies is shawshank redemption and a quote from that movie is get busy living or get busy dying and you know i've chosen to get busy living you know that didn't happen overnight you know it took a while but You know, what I've learned is that I can still learn new things. I can still um, do some of the things I used to do before, Uh, maybe not just in the same way. Um, But most importantly, that I have a voice. And, you know, hopefully I plan on using that voice for as long as I can, especially to dispel the myths and stigmas associated with dementia. Um, I mean, a doctor came up to Cheryl not long after my diagnosis and said I'd be in a nursing home within three to five years. Um in July I'll make year seven. So to that doctor, you know, sorry guy. But um it it just proved to me that even, you know, they're not a hundred percent sure, you know, that everything that's going on, they're still learning about this too. And The old saying, if you've met one person with dementia, you've met one person with dementia. Nobody knows how long or how fast the progression is gonna be from person to person. So what are you gonna do with your life between point A and point B? And for for Terry and I and a lot of folks like us, it's to get busy living.
0: Well, and talk a little bit about because I think maybe the audience would be a little surprised at the fun things that you all are doing as you get busy living that you didn't <laughs> do, you know, before you got diagnosed. Mike, um, for example, you talk about you weren't a cook. Now you are um, a chef. You're,
3: well, I, you're. I wouldn't call myself a doctor. chef. I'm probably a, I'm a glorified home cook, um, but I, I have learned that I love to cook. I have a passion for it. Um, pretty much everybody that's, you know, had dinners with us seem to enjoy them pretty well. So I, I I do get a lot of compliments and that makes me feel good. Um, I've learned to paint, uh, by different, all types of art medium. I've always was able to draw, but never took on painting until, uh, about, about three, four years after my diagnosis. Um, so I paint, I draw and uh, do a lot of gifts, you know, that I give to people. Um, I learned how to do uh, um, video editing for podcasts for DAA. So I was doing all the video post-production work for the different podcasts that we have. Um, I'm not, a, not afraid to take on something new, and, you know, just try it. I mean, what's the, you know, worst that can happen? You know, hopefully I don't blow myself up or the house, but, you know, you know, other than that, you know, I'm usually pretty safe and pretty careful, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, just because you have dementia doesn't mean your life ends tomorrow. You know, you still have a good quality of life that you can live and hopefully you use that time to educate in other people about, what it's like. And, you know, if they have friends or family, hopefully, maybe if it changes their opinion or mind of them, then, you know, hopefully we'll, we will have done something good.
0: Well, um, thank you, Terry. I know I mean, both of you all are national speakers, and, you know, you are so good at it. People would think you've been doing this your whole life, but that's something you've taken on, right?
2: That's new. Yeah. Um, and speaking up, doing advocacy and bringing more awareness to this disease and more importantly, to change the stigma, to not judge us. Um, I mean, we still have worth. We still can think. It's just that we have processes that we lose along the way. But we still want to stay engaged. We still want... Um, the medical field and others of how they view us as being a person, not being someone that um, has no value because we do. We can't do the things that we used to at that level. But like I write, that's when I started doing more of the writing. Um, And I try, will try anything, whether I can do it or not, at least I try. And the latest thing I'm trying is to learn a guitar, but I'm not doing too well. In that. <laughs> Cause I'm not musically inclined, but it's just something I wanted to do. And so I'm just saying that it just gives us the courage. we learn courage and we just do whatever pops into our mind at that moment.
0: I love it that neither of you are putting any boundaries on yourself. So you know clearly others shouldn't either so i don't think most people realize um how much stigma there is in society about living with dementia how uh, has that affected you mike you want to go first
3: um yeah i mean we, we we could have taken the whole hour just talking about <laughs> just that um I mean, it's, it, it hits you in so many different ways. I mean, one of the other things I do is I volunteer at my local senior center doing tech corner. Um, when I had first retired from work, I stepped in to the senior center in the town I was living at the time and asked them who they had doing their tech. And they said, nobody. So we started a group, they call us Mike's Google gals. And I now have a lot of adopted grandparents, which I love, but, it, you know, when I sat down at the table with them, and, you know, they saw this guy who was, you know, probably not senior age. And they would ask me, you know, oh, you're just helping to volunteer. And I would say, Well, no, I'm actually retired. And I have younger onset dementia, I can only help one person at a time, because I can't multitask. And usually the look on their face was like, wait a minute, but you're going to help me with my technology? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, so you know, there's those types of stereotypes. And another one, I had posted something on Facebook just about a week or so ago when a um, another celebrity was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And usually the bold headline always reads, so-and-so celebrity battling Alzheimer's. And it just rubbed me the wrong way again. And, you know, so I put up the post was Basically, you know, when another celebrity diagnosed battling Alzheimer's, my battle is not that I have dementia. My battle is what people think of me because I have dementia. And it's all the stigmas associated with it. It's not just about memory loss. I mean, there's so, we could go down a whole laundry list of different things um, that people don't stop to think about um, when it comes to, a form of dementia. So, and the number one thing for me is that it's not just Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's does take a majority chunk of you know, dementia umbrella, but there are actually uh, over a hundred or a hundred different types of dementia.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm looking at the time, so I wanna give some questions we still wanna get to. Terry, um, could you maybe share with us all today what are some of the symptoms that you're currently living with and how do you manage them?
2: Currently, uh, the symptoms has increased. Uh, and, and what I mean by that, your short-term memory kicks in. Where someone where you're really bad, where when you first went to the doctor it was because you couldn't remember things, but now your window of memory shortens. And that can be quite irritating for your family. And especially for us, because after a while, they're like, didn't I tell you, I already told you that. Didn't I tell you that it was over there. Didn't I tell you not to leave the door and, and, and it goes on and on in those simple things. Or you left the water up your keys was over there, you know, and you begin that becomes your world is that everyone's like, didn't I just tell you that didn't I? And that's when it gets into how strong, while it's so good to have a good family base where they understand you and um, that they can understand that you might not get it, that you need to talk a little slower to us now or we might have pads. Thank God for the electronics that we have so we don't run them totally crazy about remind me of this and remind me of that. And so all of that is different, but I, I think that through this walk, it gives us purpose to say, hey, we're not going to go down like that. No, I don't remember what you just told me a few minutes ago, but I better just make make me a cheat sheet that'll work for me. And that's kind of like what we do. We make a lot of little cheat sheets so we can try to stay as independent in our thinking as we can. And that's where the engagement comes in at. Thanks.
0: Okay, so and Mike, you have... Um Terry's living with Alzheimer's. You're living with Lewy body dementia. What symptoms Mm -hmm. are you managing right
3: now? With Lewy body, it's, it's called a roller coaster. It's really a roller coaster because the symptoms can ebb and flow for days at a time, months at a time, or even within a day. So I could go from being really great up here to all of a sudden I'm down on a low. And that low can be any myriad of different symptoms. It could be um, confusion, depression, anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, I have severe sleep uh, disturbances issues, one called REM behavior sleep disorder, um, where what happens is, you know, for a person who doesn't have it, when you fall asleep, you get into that REM state of sleep. And your brain actually sends a signal to your body where it paralyzes your body. So when you're dreaming, your body's pretty you're still. With RBD, I don't get that signal. So I act out my dreams and they're always confrontational dreams. They're always, I'm fighting somebody, chasing somebody. Somebody's chasing me or who knows what. So I'm kicking, punching, screaming. My poor Cheryl's been bruised a number of times. <laughs> I've fallen out of bed, knocked over the nightstand, walked into a wall. Um, there's, there's times where I don't get sleep for 48 hours straight um, just because I can't sleep. And that's even with taking sleeping medication. Um, but, you know, the depression can, can kick in. Um, and even during this whole COVID, when COVID first started, um even like after the first two or three months people would say oh how you doing is everything okay and you know and they would say yeah I've been stuck at home and I and I was like hey dude welcome to our world okay because this this is us 724 pretty much you know for those of us who are at home all day because we have a spouse who's still working or our kids are grown up and moved away you know, we're staring at the same four walls 24 hours a day. So what are we going to do to stay active and engaged? Um, so what happens is, especially during COVID, is, you know, like I've been out of the house maybe two or three times in last month period. That was it. And so it exacerbates your symptoms. You know, my depression gets worse or my anxiety will get worse. Um, my forgetfulness, like I said, isn't as bad as someone with Alzheimer's. But the biggest challenging conversation Cheryl and I always have is that she'll say something to me, but my brain doesn't process exactly what she's saying. So I either hear it differently or I have to keep asking her to repeat what it is she's trying to say. And you know I have a you know the old, I love baseball, so three strikes and you're out. You know, if I have to ask three times, or if I don't understand it after the third time, it goes to light switch, you know, zero to 60. So there's a lot of behavioral things that go with it. Um, but again, we, we try not to let it dominate us. Um, but I, I can't sit here and lie and not tell you that, you know, I, I, I deal with a lot of anxiety and depression um, as part of Lewy body.
0: Oh, thank you. I mean, both of your courage and openness is just so remarkable. Terry, how about you living um, with dementia symptoms during COVID? How has that impacted you? Oh, that's been
2: really difficult because I traditionally, I would go back and forth to see family members um, out of state in Illinois and Wisconsin. And for the whole year of 2020, like most of us, we haven't been able to go anywhere. And, and through that, you start slipping into depression. And you have to try to um, catch that the best that you can. But you're going to have those days, those blue days. And then with no sleep, because I don't sleep like Mike, um, maybe three hours I'm up every day until about four or five in the morning. Then if my other half is getting up and you're up for the rest of the day. You want to get two, three hours sleep, period. No matter what type of medication. But um, my, um, I can't remember what day my, it was a 15 hour drive for my middle daughter to come and get me because I was just climbing the wall. I just wanted to see them. And also I um, wanted to do a follow-up visit uh, medically. But Um, it's hard and um, but what can we do because some people still but I got a chance to see them and I'm like pumped up you know um, because I've been here for about 48 hours I think but it's hard it's very hard that's one of the most difficult things for us not to be able to see family
0: and friends so that leads us to another good question which is how can family and friends, how can they best support you? What would be most helpful? Terry will start with you and then go to Mike. I think that accepting us
2: as we are, having a little bit of, <laughs> uh, give us a little bit of room to know that we're different. Um, and, and just knowing that they are there for us. And when we when, when we're asked, we don't ask for much, just for them to understand that we're not who we used to be but just give us a little room but it's really important to have a family that's supportive of you that understands if you're saying something they have no idea what you're talking about just go along with us and and but but don't crowd us let us think if we can think if we have an idea listen to it and um and just just accept us for what we are because we need we need our family we need our friends and um, we don't have either. We feel it's, it's detrimental to us.
0: Mike, how about you? What, what would you want?
3: Yeah, I echo a lot of what Terry just said. It's just letting us be who we are and don't forget who we were. Right. Um, I mean, we understand that we have symptoms and things that may um, feel like you're being personally attacked. And what I tell people all the time is dementia is a a disease, not a personality trait. I'm sorry, dementia is a disease, not a personality trait. So if I say something cross to you, you know, you can almost guarantee that that's the disease talking, not me personally. But what the best thing you could do is just encourage me um, to be who I was before or even better yet, you know, do things outside of the box. You know, you, you asked earlier about public speaking. I had never done any public speaking in my life until, you know, I got involved with, you know, the Alzheimer's Association and DAA. And because of that, I've been on national boards of, you know, directors and Task, I was on a task force for the National Academy of Sleep Medicine. I'm on a national task force for the geriatrics uh, something. I can't remember the whole acronym. I'm actually on the Alzheimer's advisory, uh, state advisory council for the state of Massachusetts, um, which I'm actually fighting for myself and a number of people to try to get the COVID uh, vaccine to people with a dementia diagnosis, uh, because right now in a lot of states, it's not even being listed as a comorbidity. So you have to wait your turn in age. And, you know, especially for people under the age of 65, you're talking in the middle of April. So I'm actually working with one of our state senators and, and state representatives in the Department of Health and Elderly Services to try to get that fixed. but. I would have never been able to do those things had I not been encouraged to speak out. And you know, to again, for me it's, it's almost a personal thing. It's like, yeah, I've got dementia, but let me still show you what we can still do. And there's a lot of voices out there that need to be heard. So encourage them. Please, the last thing you want to do is stifle them or talk about it in the back room or, you know, whisper about it in the, you know, you need to talk about it. Just get it out in the open and talk about it.
0: Um, so there's, there's so many different questions that I, I don't want to limit time for people to be able, um, but one person has asked, um, do you experience more symptoms at a particular time of day? Is one part of the day better than another? Uh, Terry, let's start with you on
2: that. I would say probably earlier in the day, I'm more chipper and more energy than towards the end of the day because uh, you don't get a full night's sleep. So by the time evening comes, you're a little more irritable and you want to shut down or you do shut down. It's not that you want to shut down. You just shut down. And you're you're pretty much on empty, meaning you're not responding quickly. You're getting irritable, become irritated. So mornings are better.
0: Mike, how about you? What time of day, or is it
3: yeah.
0: constant all day? I
3: mean, for I mean, uh, definitely what you know, Terry said. Uh, you know, if I did get a, a you know a couple hours or a few good hours sleep, morning is definitely better. As the day wears on, it wears on me a little bit more and more. And the other thing is um, overstimulation is a major no-no. Uh, I know for me and a lot of people who have dementia, and you know that can come in many, many forms. I mean, just think about going to a restaurant and you've got 15 conversations going on in the restaurant, TVs blasting with ESPN or some game or something or other. My brain cannot process all that information. So we actually go to a restaurant, I bring airplugs with me. I even bring them to family outings um, just because being overstimulated just sends me in, a, you know, in other directions and I just shut down. So even things like that. So I'm even careful as to things I watch on TV. Um, I definitely, definitely try to stay away from politics, which has been really hard lately, yeah. but I'm working hard at it. <laughs>
0: one of the questions
2: is, do either of you have any issues with your vision? I, I do. I, um, I need to see a doctor like ASAP. I don't know what I'm waiting on because I'm beyond uh, uh, reading glasses, but yes, it does affect my vision.
3: Yeah, I- and, for, and for me, it's it's depth perception. I mean, i walk into walls and bruises on my shoulders broken one of my toes from walking into nightstands or walls or things like that Um, so it is you know definitely a depth perception to a certain degree Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also one of the things I didn't mention is hallucinations and one thing I had I learned going through this whole process is that when people hear about hallucinations they automatically go to visual And hallucinations actually affect all of your senses. So the majority of hallucinations I get are actually auditory and smell. I actually smell fire or smoke when there's nothing going on or even touch. You know, you feel like somebody's touching you and there's nobody there. Um, So it's more than visual.
0: Charles, I see you're back on. Do you want, do you have some questions?
1: Uh, Thank you, Karen. Mike and Terry, I cannot tell you how moved I personally am from hearing your testimonials. You know, Mike, at the beginning of the session, you talked about this idea of prescribing social engagement. You know, I don't know how much you know about the audience, but the audience are all people, activity and life enrichment directors. That is what they love to do, is to help people with purpose every day. So I'm sure that a lot of people are really inspired by some of the things you've said. And both you and Mike, uh, Mike and Terry, you've mentioned this idea of encouragement for new things. And this is what activity and in life-emotional in people love to do, which is to encourage people, you know, in your case, Mike, this idea of cooking, um, you know, the computer skills, the even the public speaking. This is just amazing. Um, and Terry, you know... Your words about patience, every person on the line, I can tell you they they know for a fact the degree of patience that's, uh, that is uh, how useful it is. But the thing that I love the most about what you said, Terry, is this idea of um, finding purpose. So, you know, Karen, if you, uh, you asked me if I had a question, I'd love to ask both Mike and Terry, what would be your request? or your word of advice for people in the audience, now that I've shared a little bit more about what they do, you know, what is your word of advice to help them continue helping people find purpose every day? Do you have recommendations, or have you seen things that work particularly well for you?
2: I would say the one thing is don't assume. Uh, let that person be who they are. Listen to them let them if they have some type of ability or skill whether it's music or singing um not to just flock people together like in a gallery and 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 everyone's doing puzzles and things like that but let them do things that's engaging if you have an outside let them go plant let them talk about things let them talk about different subjects that they like to talk about and get some ideas on what type of activities that they want to do or that they can do that you may not even know that they can do it. But it's just a fact that um, letting that person know you're important. Even though you have this journey, you still matter. Tell us something that we should do, which is what you just asked me. Include them.
3: Yeah, I I love what Terry just said. And and one of the things that was in a slide that Karen said was nothing about us without us. And so engagement can take many, many forms. Um, Engagement could be somebody, I love to do again, paintings and drawings and I love to give them as gifts to people because I feel like I'm giving them a piece of myself to somebody else as a gift. That's a form of engagement. It it could be, you know, obviously just think of all the senses, it could be smell, it, it could be touch, it could be, you know, getting your hands in some dirt, you know, or whatever it is that's meaningful that to that person, that's engagement, you know, and, and the worst thing that somebody could do is to argue or disagree with a person who has dementia. Because trust me when I tell you, you are never gonna win that fight or argument. That's never gonna happen. So if you're trying to teach somebody something new and they're trying to do it a different way, follow them. You know, one of the challenges we had when we first moved into our new home is, you know, my wife who's very thoughtful and trying to set up the kitchen draws the same way they were in the old house and i kept reaching into certain drawers looking for certain things and only to have to look for them in other drawers. and we finally had a conversation and said instead of me having to conform to how you put things why don't you put the things where i keep looking for them so things get moved around that way if it's muscle memory or whatever it is so hopefully try to use that frame of mind when you're engaging with a person who has dementia no matter where they are in the progression of the disease.
1: Thank you both, Mike and Terry. It's, uh, it's been an honor to have you both. Karen, thank you so much for helping us. Um, your work is amazing. And to the audience, to every single person in the audience, I highly recommend that you seek out the work of the Dementia Action Alliance to better understand what it is um, that Mike and Terry and every person that has dementia is going through. Like Mike said, when you've met one person living with dementia, you've only met one. So in order to explore this world, please consider um, exploring the work of the Dementia Action Alliance. Karen, thank you so much. Mike and Terry, again, thank you so much. To everyone, a quick reminder as we're almost at the time A quick reminder of our ongoing creative care celebration in partnership with uh, TimeSlips. If you have any questions about it, please feel free to send us a note or consider visiting this website. And as a reminder, this Activity Strong webinar is part of a series, and we have a number of very exciting webinars of all sorts of different topics. Um, Some of them are listed here. Most of them are actually listed on our website, so if you wanna sign up. And I wanna point um, your attention to the fact that we are finalizing our 2021 Virtual Summit, which is a whole day event held on June 22nd. We're gonna have amazing speakers, amazing initiatives, and as always, everyone is welcome. Karen, thank you for your work. Mike and Terry. It was an honor to have you and uh, continue having fun every day. Take care, everyone.
0: Thanks for listening to the Activity Strong Executive Edition series powered by Linked Senior. Find more resources and webinar information at btgvoice.com.